Hello everyone. Welcome to the Startup and Career Show. This is the podcast where we discuss everything about startup and corporate life with founders and business leaders who share their real life experiences. So today we have with us Ms. Sargam, founder of Tresmart, who's going to share insights on her startup journey and she had an illustrious career so far and I'm really looking forward to have a conversation uh, with you Sargam. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much Rushrab I am equally looking forward to you know chatting with you and hopefully giving some insights and hopefully I am able to help a few people uh, with you know with my journey and experiences uh, so I'm really looking forward to this Great Sargam so let's begin now uh, I've I've got to know that you won many awards many accolades in in uh, last few years right so uh, as as a first thing to begin with can you talk about your professional journey what led you to uh, start tresmart but before that how did you shape up your career so i actually finished my schooling from velam girl school in dehradun uh, post which i went to singapore to actually study film making i wanted to be a director and i went after that i went to new york to complete the course uh, because until then this was in 2016 until 2016 i was hell bent on being a director uh i don't know what changed in me i really don't have a fixed answer for it but uh, i actually joined a, after coming back from college in 2016 i joined an ad agency uh, and i realized that you know maybe film making and making ads is really not what i'm actually good at and i enjoy in the real world uh, so i was very disappointed because all my life i had always wanted to do that uh, but when i realized this is not uh, you know maybe something that i will be able to continue i really racked my brain and i uh, my father told me actually that you know you should do something you enjoy doing so think about something you love and enjoy uh, the only thing i actually loved and enjoyed was beauty products and you know i used to buy a lot of beauty products go abroad uh, try on new uh, you know launches new products so i thought okay let me try maybe this is maybe this is my calling I, in 2016 i had a chance meeting uh, with the founders of daphne which is the first hair straightening uh, brush um, and uh, they were wanting to launch in india and i was wanting to get into uh, this profession uh, so i i said okay let let's try this because i'm absolutely i was out of college i was 22 years old i started with 25 brushes uh, with an investment of 1 lakh so i had 25 brushes 1 lakh rupees and one website is all i had uh my best friend from college joined me when i uh, started this and both of us were obviously we were both 22 we had no clue about what we were doing uh but within about a month daphne became a rage we had there were 12 million views on youtube uh at the daphne uh, video it just suddenly bombarded and uh, my next shipment that i called for was actually for 2500 brushes so from 25 to 2500 was something i was not expecting uh you know because it was something i was doing new Uh, so i started with daphne then we went on to bring style ideas from uh, uk uh, then we went on to bring makeup eraser from usa and through all our earnings in tresmart we acquired paul penders which is a 90 year old uh, clean beauty and vegan brand from the netherlands and we acquired it fully i shifted its manufacturing to dehradun at in my hometown at my factory and now we manufacture and supply it globally and during the pandemic i opened two e-commerce platforms global tresmart and uh, tresmart tresmart is for hair care and global tresmart is for uh, beauty products uh, and now we're looking to launch another brand in october so actually my journey just started with a chance meeting and 25 brushes 
Wow, I mean, this is this is interesting, uh, Sargam. But you know, the thing is, uh, as you mentioned, that it was just a chance meeting, right? Uh, but then, uh, since you had studied filmmaking and all of that, right? And then making a sudden shift to a, to a place which possibly you didn't have much idea, right? About about an an ecosystem that was still being worked possibly right. in your mind then. So, what was that spark that led you to look at launching Tresmart as a brand? So, how did this idea come about? This idea actually just came about, like I said, ever since I was a child, I have loved beauty products. Uh, and you know, when my father told me, "Find your passion, find your calling," you know, uh, you'll only be able to work in life for a long time if you know if you love what you're doing. If you're doing something just for the, uh, you know, the heck of doing it, or just because you have to work, it's not going to succeed. You're not going to succeed. It's going to shut down. Uh, so that's why I did. Um, and honestly, another reason for me starting with Daphne and Tresmart, why I started with Tresmart essentially means a mart for your tresses, for your hair. Uh, I have always had very thin hair. I have always my hair. I constantly need to take care of my hair. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'm sure there are many people like me who face this problem uh, because, you know, a straightener would make my hair flat. Uh, you know, I, I could just never get my hair right. The problem was I could never get my hair right. And I tried products all over the world to fix that. Uh, so when this Daphne happened, I was like, you know, maybe I need to make some a place, a, you know, like a marketplace just for hair. Because, uh, you know, because personally I could, you know, uh, I could relate to people who have issues with their hair because I've always had them all my life from hair fall to getting them to set properly to things like that. So which is why I decided on making a mart for dresses and called it Tress Mart. This is, this is, this is very exciting, uh, Sargam, again. But, you know... Uh... As I mentioned earlier, having an idea is one thing and building a startup is altogether another uh, another uh, problem, right? I mean, so in your case, when you had no background in startups, right? So how did you go about building Tresmart as an organization? So actually, I um, my dad has always been in business. My grandfather's always been in business. They've never been in the beauty business, but they've always been doing their own business. So the basic know-how came from them, you know what I need to do, what are the basic setup, how to set up bank accounts, how to set up finances, how to understand what needs to go, uh, you know, how many people need to hire, don't burn money. So the basic know-how, of course, came from them on how to build. And apart from that, I fumbled, I learned. And because Daphne became such a rage, you know, it initially I thought this is going to be a very smooth ride. Obviously, it wasn't like that. Uh, but yes, the basic no has come from my family because they were very supportive. They were, uh, you know, they were willing to give me so much time and, uh, you know, education to put me in the on the right path. So all my know-how and how to start a startup has come from them entirely. Well, that that's interesting, Sargam. But you know, uh, when you launched Tresmart, right, and then you pivoted, you actually uh, launched it as an e-commerce platform just for hair care, so to speak, right? So, uh, uh, and then there are so many e-commerce platforms offered if we see, right, in the beauty okay. space. Or, right. or, for the overall uh, hair care category as well. So what is your USP? Yes, you had a product called as, uh, uh, Daphne, no doubt, but now in your uh, the stage that you're in, so what is exactly your USP then? So our first USP actually is, you know, we look at a lot of homegrown smaller brands. You know, these brands on very, very big e-commerce platforms, they get lost, you know, with so many bigger brands coming in they completely get lost in that so that is something we have consciously done is given them the space uh, you know given them the visibility so there are so many brands which you will find 
with us but not at another platform because you know they also feel the visibility happening with them secondly because we have our own brands you know we're able to offer better discounts better deals you know to attract customers is what i would say um and thirdly we have we have a lot of salon partners and you know we are now like on 1st and 2nd of october we're launching our own beauty carnival with these smaller brands uh, you know so we that's what i that's what i feel a usp that we actually give a platform to smaller brands which actually get lost in the crowd with you know so many bigger brands at on bigger e-commerce platforms and that is what has actually built us uh, where you know the small homegrown brand now and you know that we've seen the journey of so many brands from our platform from where they were not no not anything to now you know they're reaching a platform and i feel that at least somewhere we've been able to help those so that is what our main usp would be of course the other things are you know customer service all those things but that is something that everybody is doing you know everybody understands customer is key uh you know the service needs to be impeccable so that i wouldn't say that is our usp because everyone's doing that mm-hmm. so our main usp would be that we are giving a platform to smaller homegrown brands giving them visibility and at the same time we also market from there we also market their products for them so we don't charge uh, you know a lot of e-commerce platforms charge for marketing so mm-hmm. we do not charge we include that in the commission that we take from them because we do understand that you know they're much smaller they may not have those kind of budgets uh, so you know we are marketing for them we do giftings to them, for them we do influencer gifting we uh, reach out to people who you know maybe at that current point they don't have the bandwidth to reach out to got it so i think so you're yeah. going a step further in that sense you know yes, because yes. serviceability and all customer service everybody absolutely. expects a quick delivery absolutely. and all of that so but you're, you're onboarding your partners and giving them uh, yes. the benefit so to speak got it yes but uh, you know the sargam uh, that leads me to another question specifically with respect to the lockdown right because uh, yes uh, indian economy right there were there were so many businesses which actually shifted gears everybody went online right but it was also a challenge so to speak right so uh, a time when everything was completely shut how did you survive because there was no clarity what will how will you come out you know at the end of the tunnel right so what strategies did you adopt to just stay afloat during the lockdown phase so it was terrible honestly you know it was very very difficult you know because we were we are only 4 years old so it's not like we had any finances previously or you know we were uh, we had a lot of savings we had nothing we've never been funded so we did not even have that so honestly the lockdown was terrible and there were days where i really didn't know that will i even able be able to you know pull through uh, the pandemic Uh, but uh, so the biggest problem that we were facing with the e-commerce platform was that you know during the lockdown a lot of courier services had shut so even if the customer was ordering from us we didn't know how it would reach the customer and because it would not reach the customer the customer would cancel the order which meant no revenue at all uh, you know so we had to like look at other ways so you know i have a setup in delhi and ncr and i have a setup in dehradun and one in bombay so at least for these three cities we started doing same day delivery uh you know so i i started i partnered with you know two three local you know um courier partners who would do this because i had a setup there i could put things in my office there i could do that so that's how we started because i was like we need some revenue to sustain otherwise this is over tresmart is over obviously uh so you know it was actually partner- partnering with the local people um secondly my main thing was i didn't want to lay off anybody uh, so i spoke to my team i cut their salaries in half because there was no other way i was going to sustain you know but i did tell them that this is not going to go on for very long but until then i cannot pay more than this i'm stretching myself to even do something like this 
you know so i think cutting down salaries being with local uh, partners has really helped us and then you know we actually shifted our focus from doing all of this to my to we opened something called the vira project uh which is where you know we would help rehabilitation of pets uh you know we would actually do fundraisers we would do um so we would say trestmart is organizing a fundraiser you know so we, i was also building visibility at the same time for my brand yet at the same time i was uh helping people out and helping you know pets basically vira project helps in pet rehabilitation because during covid so many pets lost their owners and you know their masters so we would help them we would place them in other people's houses you know uh, I, but i would always whenever i would be raising money for this i would always say trestmart is doing this you know so i was raising visibility in my own way because you know at that time it was such a sensitive time no one wanted to see instagram ads or instagram posts you know it was such a depressing time for everybody i don't think it would be uh, sensitive of me to do something like this but at the same time as a business owner i also had to think that my business has to run you know keeping everyone's sentiments in mind so i think just uh, partnering with local courier people as opposed to the bigger companies uh, starting small i would do little little deliveries you know near my house i would do them myself things like that and of course you know adopting a different way i wouldn't say of marketing but of getting that reach out there you know through social service through fundraiser so that's what really helped us and we were able to stay afloat and of course my team was very supportive they were okay with me cutting that uh, salary um, we we had a office on rent you know my landlord actually waived off my rent because he like you know sitting so i you know i was very grateful to even have that kind of support because at that time even to pay rent was like it was it was very taxing and it was very difficult even that much money was like where will i get that money from uh, so overall it's panned out fine we have sailed through and i hope covid never comes back Oh, absolutely, sir. No doubt. No. In fact, uh, you know, even even earlier in few of my conversations, I've had some of uh, pet parents coming on to the sessions, and they also actually said, right, that pets were abandoned, and and there was there was chaos all around, right. But uh, I think uh, you know when you were talking about all of this, uh, what also struck me is you know a founder's job is not just about managing a team or a business, right. A founder needs to do everything. Uh, needs to think on the job as well. right and and you exactly did that right where partnering with the courier wellers the local guys and and just ensuring that somehow you are able to deliver your products it was literally just somehow like i would like kuch bhi karke this has to reach the customer the order cannot get cancelled you know it was it was a do and a do or die situation i was like this has to reach what come what may i have to fly down and deliver it i will do that also and you know uh, for me like a lot of of course you know during the covid time a lot of my teammates went back to their houses because there was no point living in delhi paying the rent so you know i was also able to reach out to them and say that you know why don't you find local people everyone was looking for extra income at that time any income for anybody at that time was good so we reached out to we, we couldn't do pan india shipping but at least whatever five or six cities they were enough to keep us afloat wow you know this is exactly the difference you know uh, where an employee can actually think back and relax saying that okay my salary will come whether i work today or no right but as a startup founder i think this is where the the mindset difference is right i mean a, my startup founder will continuously keep on thinking how to just right. ensure that the ship is float you know absolutely that this absolutely so sagam so, uh, moving on in fact you also spoke about paul panders right and uh, so can you talk a little bit more about the global brands that you launched 
including Paul Panders. And right. how did you actually go about acquiring them? I mean, they were a big brand, right? So, so how did you go and acquire? It's like a small, very small company talk and talking about acquiring a bigger brand, right? So, so I just wanted to understand the process and what was your mindset at that point in time? Um. So you know, I uh, I got in three brands, which were I'm an exclusive distributor for them, but they're not my brands, right? I'm just a distributor. I don't have creative control. I don't have those kind of controls over the brands. Uh, so I I wanted to do a brand where you know. I have control. I own the brand, you know, and uh, initially I thought I'll build my own brand, um, you know, and start from scratch, make the formulations, do everything. Uh, and I'm on this, uh, you know, there's this, uh, there's a network for Indian startup founders and out there someone actually released, um, um, not an advertisement, but something like, you know, is anybody looking to acquire a brand because I have somebody in mind who's looking to sell. And obviously, I was very interested. And uh, so, Paul Pender is something I actually do with my grandfather. Uh, I actually went to him and I said, you know, this is... He knew I was, I'd been wanting to do this. I said, can we do something like this? So, he said, do you have the funds to do it? Because uh, you can do anything, but you need the money to do something like this, you know. Uh, so, that's when we went. We had a meeting in Malaysia. The Paul Pender used to live in Malaysia himself. Uh, we went, we spoke to him. We understood the whole thing. Uh, initially, we... Uh, kept his son as a partner with us because obviously you know to get the entire shares and do everything was a lot I did not have those kind of funds uh, so I, we started with keeping him on board and the you know the whole idea was that within two or three years we will completely buy off all the shares once you know we start generating money and doing that so that's what we did uh, and I always had a setup in Dehradun for a factory uh, so you know I used so I have another pharmaceutical company so I used the resources from that pharmaceutical company into Paul Pender. So I did not hire any more manpower. I did not hire any machinery. So all of that, you know, seamlessly shifted. One team was working on two different, uh, you know, two different uh, products or two different brands. Uh, so that's how it went on. And then, you know, once we were able to generate enough money through Paul Pender, we were able to buy back all the shares. So now we own the brand 100% uh, globally. But it was a slow and gradual, you know, uh, when Paul Penders came actually and we started manufacturing them, we faced a huge quality issue uh, because products were getting spoiled. We didn't know the exact, you know, the creams would start melting. It was a huge issue. And, you know, this batch had gone out to customers. So for us, it was like the first impression people will get of us is that this is a very, very bad brand. Also, you know, then we had to be more careful because nobody had ever done cosmetics nobody had ever done skincare makeup lipsticks uh, you know so then they had to go for a training i mean it became a whole process i thought it was going to be very simple uh, but it wasn't as simple uh, so you know everyone went through training my r&d team went through training uh, to ensure that these things don't happen because you know with the amount of competition that's coming in you only get one try you know customers will reject you in a minute oh, wow. uh, so you have to get it right so it was just about that one try. Uh, so yeah, we put in a lot of lot of thought and effort and, you know, we even uh, slashed down our product range. So Paul Penders initially had 62 products. We slashed it down to 40 because we were like, okay, let's go gradually instead of trying to do everything together and then goofing up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever we couldn't maintain, we started sizing down to. And at the same time, we were facing a lot of ingredient issue. Because Paul Penders, when they were in Netherlands, they used to get all the ingredients from there. But when they came to India, the weather was different. Everything was different. We had to change our formulations. Because the weather in Netherlands is, you know, more suitable for something 
lying out on the shelf but in india the summers are terrible your thing is going to get spoiled so we had to change a few ingredients and i also started my own greenhouse facility where i started growing a few ingredients myself uh, you know certain of course we outsourced from the local farmers and stuff but certain which i felt were more exotic and i felt like we were not meeting the quality that was required and getting them from netherlands was too expensive we started growing them ourselves uh, so it was a lot of thought a lot of planning uh, but most things have worked out in the end which i am very happy about oh absolutely uh, sargam but uh, you know that that uh, points me to ask you about the challenges that you faced right i mean paul panders being one of it uh, but otherwise what are the challenges that, that you faced while setting up the operations or even for that matter to scale up right uh, because you started off very small and then you increased you launched multiple uh, sub verticals so to speak and so what are the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them so the first challenge that i faced you know was actually right when i started was that my age my age was a big challenge you know people wouldn't take i was 22 i was a woman i was talking to you know i was talking to salon owners to get my products and these are you know men and women who have quite 22 years of experience you know so my first problem was that they wouldn't take me seriously you know i actually had a meeting uh, with somebody and they turned around and said boss ko bulao and i was like nahi like my boss so you have to talk to me so you know that was and when you are starting out you know these things can really kill your confidence that nobody wants to listen to you nobody wants to take you seriously so the first problem that i faced was my age uh, no one wanted to listen to me or take me seriously uh, second was managing finances because i just couldn't understand i wanted to market i wanted to build my team i wanted to get stock i didn't know where to allocate what uh, you know so Uh, primarily i think these two would be my biggest biggest challenges apart from covid but i think covid was everybody's challenge uh, so how i overcame age was you know i my again my dad started telling me that you know you, if you know your thing 100% nobody will be able to question you so i really started getting very thorough with what i'm saying i wouldn't be confused i you know i started uh, i would actually stand in front of the mirror and rehearse what i had to say because i didn't want to goof up at all so it took a lot out of me in terms of you know even becoming a more confident person and not sounding like i'm a child and you know i don't know my what i'm trying to pitch to somebody and in terms of finances and all i obviously i faced many many losses but i think you fall and you learn and also what has really helped me is doing you know these little courses online uh, because actually in in school and college in college i did film making in school i was a humanities student so i never even understood you know thing like credit debit what is happening so that really helped me where i would do these little little courses online for 2 3 weeks to at least understand the basics of financing you know how do you make cash flow how do you do those things uh, so but i think at the end of the day everyone has their own journey until they make mistakes they're not going to learn it's happened with me people would tell me don't do certain things i would continue doing them then fail at it and then regret uh, but i think that's what makes a journey a journey right where you learn you fumble you get up so yeah absolutely a journey is always better than a destination right so you oh, cherish your journey i believe that absolutely so sargam uh, you know specifically i have another question on this uh, because when you were setting up right you were also setting up your team at the same time uh, so how did you learn delegation because see what happens many a times founders when they start up right they want to do everything and they forget to delegate and many a times they lose resources because of that as well so delegation is an extremely important aspect so how did you manage that 
so actually i have a very very small team that works with me we are only a team of seven people i have a manufacturing team of about 110 but the core team is just seven people so we all have very uh, everyone's job role is very segregated and i try not to merge like if somebody is doing operations i try to not involve them in marketing or you know uh, and i i only kept the team that small so you know i've delegated everything exactly what needs to be done and how i learned it was because you know right at the start i was one of those founders where i thought i can do everything and i had you know my friend from college with me two of us thought we can run the entire company but you know then we started facing issues like deliveries weren't reaching on time uh one customer would order something we would send them something else because there was so much work going on uh you know so those kind of problems started coming in where i realized that i cannot do everything my accounts was here everything was just everywhere because two people cannot run a full Uh, you know everyone can't do everything uh, everyone has this expertise in something uh, so actually i learned because of that and we had a very bad experience where one uh, customer actually wanted to take us to consumer court for giving them a wrong order and i got very scared uh, so you know i realized and i sat down and i was like you know this i need to fix this before this becomes a huge problem because we were dispatching wrong orders we were not giving delivery on time our accounts were everywhere our social media was another story altogether uh so you know that was actually when that uh, customer threatened to take us to consumer court is when i realized that okay we need a team we need to delegate each person uh, so then i started hiring people from like you know for operations i wanted an operation executive for marketing audit and marketing executive and i tried to get them from the same field so from beauty so they knew exactly how it works you know how the product is to be packaged how it's to be sent what marketing needs to go out what the social media need to do so we were just a team of seven but each person knows their role very well and that's all they do like i try that nobody's involved in the other person's business because i think that just makes it too confusing um you know each person knows what they're doing so they should just be left to what they're doing oh absolutely absolutely so uh, sargam uh, recently i think uh, you also started uh, working offline right so you started off with e-commerce and then you've expanded offline so can you talk about your strategies how did you go about it because there are so many d2c brands these days right which are which are offering their services online and many of them aspire to be on the offline as well so how did you overcome and how did you manage that so actually for daphne you know it being a hair straightening brush we started it with a salon uh you know so that was thing so i understood i basically got an idea of how offline works but with the other d2 with the other brands i you know because especially with the pandemic see uh, going offline also requires more resources you know you need to hire sales team you need to hire you need to pay for uh you know whatever display you're creating so things like that online there are no additional expenses like that also i think the first strategy we adopted was to go small and test water instead of doing it at 50 stores together we did with five and tested water where what work and what doesn't work wherever it didn't work we were, we withdrew everything immediately you know because that also meant manpower was going in that display costs were going products were not selling and what we've actually noticed is very surprising is that uh tier 2 cities is actually what our target audience is Uh, i think in metropolitan what that's what we've experienced that there's so much availability of everything uh, that there is it's like a it's like a fish market you know it's so congested with products while tier 2 cities are still getting to that level you know uh, so we started with metropolitan because we thought of course that's where people will buy we we withdrew i think within a month and a half from all metropolitan and now we're 
we are targeting tier two cities uh because that's where the audience is and i think the key to doing this is again starting very very small don't do 50 together do five see what is happening and then go on to the next five and then to the next five in fact like we are doing a beauty carnival for the first time i'm doing it in dehradun you know for the same reason that uh tier one cities are very very congested right now with you know events with products with launches with everything tier two cities are yet to experience it uh, so our strategy has Actually, change to actually targeting tier two, tier three cities as opposed to metropolitans, which has really worked well for us and helped us get into the offline, uh, space. So currently, we are selling more in tier two, tier three cities than we are in a uh, tier one and metropolitans. That's that's interesting, uh, Sarum, because the strategy that you adopted, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's the fact that metros are overcrowded, so to speak. But uh, tell me one thing. So, what is the major difference that you have observed between an online versus an offline retail right because retail offline is considered to be very traditional and all of that so what are the major differences that you have observed out of your own experience i think uh, one thing of uh, offline is a touch and feel factor of a product obviously uh, secondly i feel i'm able like my sales people offline are able to educate the customer better for a product as opposed to online online they see what description we've written you know but i think face to face interaction is very key to anything uh, so in terms of sales i think offline is more important because people can feel it try it uh, you understand the product better uh, First is that second in terms of bringing in crowd, you know there are very few people who go alone to a shop. You always go with your two three friends, so you know at the same time where the cost of acquisition per customer online would be say two hundred four hundred rupees. Here you are targeting three people at once. Uh, you know while online you target one person at one time and then the next one at no that you nobody does online shopping in a bulk group. You know but while you're going to shopping with your friends, you go in a group. Uh, so that is something which I feel. Online, offline is better. Ah, uh, but in terms of ah uh, marketing, in terms of um, customer acquisition, in terms of um, uh, you know even managing costs, online is obviously much easier because you just need a website and you need to market it. There is no other hidden cost involved. While offline, all these costs are involved, but both have their pros and cons. Ah, uh, but I feel like offline is better. Like I would love to try a product before I bought it, and especially if it's a new brand, you know. Ah, uh, so I feel like offline is important. You buy the product once. and then you can always order it online once you like it but how do you get a customer to try that product once online true 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 so sargam now that you know from offline you've gone off uh, online to offline so what are your expansion plans do you expand plan to go global as well now are you of ready course, for it uh, i don't know if you are ready for it but i do want to do it uh, we also want to open our own stores uh, you know stand alone stores which have our brands which have uh, our products Uh, so our main expansion plan is that other than that we're launching a new skincare brand by mid october uh, which is completely developed by my team in house we you know work very hard to develop that it's a new concept um and we want to go uh, go global we want to uh, you know sell these brands across many countries and also bring in more new brands we have three which we uh you know exported and our distributors of hopefully by next year mid we have two more brands we're in talks with them Also, in terms of expansion, we want to expand everywhere, go global, open our own stores, and get in more brands. True, true, absolutely. So, uh, sir, I'm going forward, right? Uh, can you share some of the tips for our listeners on building these successful startup, right? I mean, what are the things to keep in mind? Because you've done all of that, right? And there is a person who wants to be an entrepreneur, 
right? So if you can just jot down few areas that needs to uh, an immediate attention. So, I mean, first thing I would say is really do something that you love and you're passionate about. This is the best advice I've gotten from my dad and it has helped me a lot that unless you love what you do, you're never going to be successful at it. Uh, secondly, learn to believe in yourself because uh, how will you delegate work? How will you inspire? Not even inspire, actually. How will you uh, let other people have faith in you if you don't have faith in yourself? Thirdly, be very careful with your finances because, you know, when you suddenly start getting sales, you get everybody gets very excited and that's where they goof up because they start feeling how oh, we have this money we must we must spend it on you know marketing you know just be very careful because jitni jaldi it comes utna jaldi it goes and it finishes you know so be very careful with finances uh fourth is i think you know keep a few advisors somebody you know who will keep putting you on the right track as a startup owner you're doing it for the first time have somebody who has experience who will at least keep putting you on the right track and the fifth thing I would say is that believe in your team. You know, they will they will build your brand more than you ever will. So uh, hire the right people, believe in them and treat them well. Uh, because I feel like if your employees are not satisfied, you are anyway going nowhere because they're not going to give the 100%. And yeah, I think just generally this, believe in yourself, believe in your team, be very careful with finances and always learn to learn. Have have the patience to learn it's okay to goof up you will goof up you will make mistakes but it's okay get up learn and then move on oh absolutely fail fast and fail cheap always <laughs> <laughs> that's, i think that's the easiest and best thing to do as opposed to uh you know failing so badly that you fail like it's over True, true. So, Sargam, uh, you know, how should a first-time founder actually validate his or her startup idea? Because, see, people out of passion or out of curiosity, they just want to jump into it, right? But I think validating a particular product offering is also very important. So, how do uh, someone go about that? Because you actually started small with, with those 25 brushes, right? So, how do you validate the idea? Uh, firstly, I would say... Uh... You know, really understanding the market, what you're trying to do. Are you, what are you trying to, what are you trying to get in? Is there a market for it? Is there already somebody doing it? So really doing a market survey and, you know, sometimes even talking to just your friends and family can really help you validate an idea of like, you know, do people even require what you're trying to offer? Is there a market for it? If there is a market for it, is there somebody already doing this or, you know, uh, and if someone's doing it, are they already too big for you to break into it? And I think that's the only way to really validate your idea is to really find out, talk to a lot of people around you, understand what you're trying to do. And then again, like I said, start very, very small. Don't hire 20 people, get an office, start at like start in your basement, start in one bedroom, start with two people, understand where this is going. Sometimes, you know, even after the market survey, you may feel you, you know, people require this, but when it actually goes out and people have to pay for something, uh, is when they start withdrawing you know money always becomes a key factor in this uh, so I think really doing a market survey and starting very 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 small oh, absolutely so uh, Sargam how did you fund your business initially right so any tips that you can share uh, with the people out here right especially on fundraising aspect because uh, you know as we say that winter has set in right in the startup world Right. The last year, the cash flows were coming in and this year it's all about profitability. The investors are talking about profitability, right? right. But you didn't raise funds in the first place. So that's the reason I wanted to ask you on this. That how did you go about managing it? 
so actually like i said i just started with 1 lakh rupees uh, which is something i did from my own savings so because i mean that's it uh, after we sold the 25 brushes and we wanted to do a bigger order is when i had to actually take money because for 2500 brushes you need a lot of money plus import duty all of that uh, so actually i first went to my father to ask him uh, and he actually like i mean most fathers would give that money but he actually made me take a loan from his company and uh, we sort of got into an agreement where i also from trustmart gave him a certain percentage of shares because he said if you have to do it you have to do it right this is not a family run you know he said if this is how it goes you'll never succeed because you'll always know that okay he will give it to me uh, so i gave him a certain percentage of my shares and we got into like this loan agreement where we you know uh, started so that's how my initial funding came and we were able to return that money within one and a half years uh, so you know the whole thing was that I had to return it. It was not money for me to keep forever and ever. Uh, so you know I think what really helped me was that my father was very strict with me at the start. It was not something like he was running it like a family run thing that you know it's okay. It's not. It was not a hobby. It was work. Uh, you know, and I think in terms of giving how to take fundraising, you know, we are looking for fundraising now. We are talking to venture capitalists trying for fundraising. It's very key to have that differentiator in your product. Uh, because why would somebody fund you if they don't see why your product will sell? You know, so that idea needs to be very promising. Why would someone come to you? And secondly, I, I also sometimes feel that you need to uh, sort of match with your investor. Like you guys need to have the same thought process and ideologies because ultimately the investor is a very integral part of your business, right? So he is going to be uh, sort of helping you run that business and take it to profitability you know so i think that is key and in an e-commerce business especially you know it's very very important to have the right kind of users and also have enough traffic on your website uh you know so it's all about targeting the right people and targeting the right investors as well and having that key differentiator in your products that somebody feels is worth investing in because that's what will make people buy your product if you're selling what thousand other people are you're never going to get fund you're never going to be uh you know funded and I mean, it, it's only natural if, if today if I was a, uh, you know, if I was giving funding to a company and I saw there was no differentiator, nothing, I would also, you know, really be like, what am I putting my money into? Uh, so I think that is very important and having a very solid pitch deck. People, I don't think give enough importance to creating a very solid pitch deck. So please create a very, very good pitch deck. So at least the first meeting with an investor, at least he wants to have that second meeting with you. Oh, that is very important, right? I mean, the objective of the first meeting should be to get another meeting. Exactly. So be, you know, be very thorough, have a very good pitch deck. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So, uh, Sargam, the other thing is now that you've actually, you've grown your business to a level where it is not just a founder driven, right? So how did you transition from a founder driven decisions to a scalable system of leadership at Pressmart? Uh, I'm, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what are you trying to ask exactly? Like, I maybe I misunderstood the question. So, so see, earlier, possibly you and your uh, friend who started your business, right? I yeah. mean, you guys were, were taking all the decisions and all of that, right? right? right. right. Now, now, possibly you've got people to take decisions, right? So how did you set up this system, right? Because you hire people, uh, an operations guy for managing operations, a marketing guy, right? And there could be some agreements, disagreements on various things as well, right? So how do you, uh, did you transition this? And how do you set up a system where everything feels free to 
provide your opinions as well i mean it's not uh, just a one way right okay. a top down approach top down uh, you know firstly what i actually kept in mind was while i hired a few experienced people i also hired people my age uh, you know that also meant that we were on the same page into where our thinking was going uh, secondly we i have a few experienced people but so one very important thing which i don't think a lot of offices give a lot of credit to is actually having an open office system you know there are no cabins there is no hierarchy everybody sits together so nobody is some nobody is anybody's boss you know if you know what i mean we all sit like we have a long table we all sit together so i think firstly creating that environment that you're not senior and when i hire somebody who's coming from you know 20 years of experience 25 years i make it very clear that you know we work like a team you are not heading anybody you are here to give your expertise but you're not heading anybody nobody's under you know there's no hierarchy uh you know so i think that's what really helped us and um again just being free and uh, this is something which i would like to actually give myself also credit for i always i always try to listen to everyone's ideas whether i like them or not i never jump up and say that you know what are you talking that such nonsense we will only do this so i think just being a little bit patient and also understanding that there are people who know more than you you know just that understanding that you're not the best there are people who know way more than you and it's always good to understand from them uh, so yeah that's what we've done and this i think one very important factor is keeping an open office space you know as soon as there are cabins you already demarcate uh, you know who will sit where they have a cabin also they are superior you know so things like that we i i try to keep away from all of that very true very true sargam i think that that's quite impressive so uh, sargam one last question before we allow you to go you know any specific advice that you want to give to these potential startup founders who will listen to this podcast maybe later that you have it all our actresses that you have it in you and you can reach wherever you want to uh, look at the startup uh, ecosystem in india right now it is booming and it's so nice that everybody wants to do something of their own so you have it in you please don't doubt yourself and if one idea fails think of the second and go at it don't let go please don't let go is what i would actually just like to tell them that be at it things will fail it will not be a smooth ride but you will be satisfied so just keep at it absolutely i think you know it's worth doing all the fight and heavy lifting Absol- and doing all of that absolutely right? absolutely great great sargam i think it was lovely speaking to you thank you for your time yes thank it you was for lovely it was you know it was, it was great thank you yes it was lovely thank and you. you know if any entrepreneur ever needs any any aspiring whatever little i can help them i'll be happy to help them so they can always connect with me and i will be happy to guide them in whatever way that i can that would be awesome sargam thank you thanks a lot thank you thank you so much rutab thank you bye